Hey guys, welcome back to Generation Vex, the podcast where we discuss and explore literature by writers of colour. We'll occasionally, uh, regularly, <laughs> take a detour into the arts and popular culture, and no matter the topic, something's always got us vexed. Mm-hmm. My name is Stephen Sanadan Sajay. I'm Vanessa Fisher. And I'm Sharon Rose. Generation Vex is produced with the support of Green Door Pictures. Whoop whoop! So guys, today we are joined by the amazing Bernadine Evaristo. Yeah. Yes. Hi everybody. <laughs> hey, thank you, Bernadine. Um, to discuss her new book, the Booker Prize winning Girl, Woman, Other. Bernadine, welcome to the pod. Thank you very much for having me. Well, thank you for coming. Thanks for being here. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Bernadine, we usually start our podcast off by asking uh, one simple question to our authors. What has vexed you recently? Okay, so um, I hate it when men are called sir like when being served or something or coming off a plane so I was in Nigeria uh, last week coming off the plane and the air hostess sorry they're not called air hostesses anymore are they Mm. they are called flight attendant the flight attendant quick thinking as the men were walking past she would say thank you goodbye sir and then when the women walked past she just said thank you goodbye oh so it's really sexist and it's really entrenched in our society. Mm. So I feel that if you're going to call men sir, mm-hmm. call women madam. Yeah. Mm, yes. Because you're kind of conferring respect yeah. on them for being men. Yeah. So then it needs to be equalized. Yeah, yes. That's one Straight of my in. real bugbears. Yeah, absolutely. Could we just like edit in an applause? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. That? Absolutely. <laughs> um, can I ask just off the back of that something that my something that my mum actually really doesn't like is the assumption of a missus. Like mm. when she mm. she's a, a miss and she really doesn't like when people assume missus and then the kind of idea that women have these sort of different stages of Yes. title in their life whereas yeah. for a, a guy you get over the age of sort of 12 or 13 and suddenly you're mister and that's yeah. kind of just Straight like away, yeah. you're a grown up that's how it is and you're not like connected to anything else but uh, do you guys have anything that you prefer to be called like a, are you a I'm always Ms yeah I am actually married but I'm not Mrs anybody exactly yeah. I am Ms Woo! Yeah. Can we have that too? <laughs> Can I just have you like as a soundbite on a regular <laughs> right. basis? Yeah. Yes. And so people don't know whether I'm married or not, and that's the way it needs to be. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Vanessa, what about you? <laughs> um, so I saw recently an influencer was talking about. She did a, sh- a shoot, uh, online sort of fashion um, shoot, and there were no makeup artists or hairstylists that knew how to do black and mixed race mm-hmm. um, knew how to cater to black and mixed race models and she basically put a side by side um, a picture of her with no makeup just chilling at home versus what she looked like for the shoot and she was like I look better in this photo with no makeup than when I've gone wow. and had, had it professionally done oh and I just think I can't believe we're still in the place where big corporations I can well, I can't respect smaller corporations for not doing it. Just do it. But I can't believe even a massive corporation with a massive budget can't afford to either hire black and mixed race MUAs and hairstylists yeah. or someone that has the knowledge of working with black and mixed race models. Yeah. Like how many times are we going to have to go to a shoot with the fear of someone here isn't going to know, I'm going to have to do my own hair or they're going to ha- ask me to bring my own makeup or I just, I think it's boring. And can honestly. I just like latch onto one word you said there, the fear of, and I think that's yeah. a really important thing. You know, it is just adding such an unnecessary stress, especially yeah. in an industry that's predominantly freelance where, yeah. you know, you survive on reputation where if you do cause a fuss, you're perceived to be someone who is difficult to work yeah. with. Yeah. And, you know, that kind of feeling goes doubly for women of colour. Yeah, and I definitely. think having to bring that kind of negative energy into a workspace where you actually want to come and just have a really good time and feel pampered, feel like Mm, they want you to be there. You know, not putting somebody in who knows how to deal with that is an act of, you know, is is an act of oppression in that way, isn't it? And you just feel ignored. I've had it myself. I went to a fitting for a show and they had 
nude coloured um, uh. underwear, nude coloured costumes. And I kind of pointed out that this wasn't <laughs> my nude. It was a beige colour. And, yeah. and the, the um, costume designer turned around to me and said, well, I didn't know you were going to be black. So, oh, sorry. Oh kind of like, it was, yeah, like, oh, you, you're an inconvenience. And <laughs> I didn't know. And, and that really happened. And ha- luckily, I had other people in the room that were like, we're obviously going to sort this out. Thank Don't you. worry yeah. about thank it. And you. Thank thank goodness for people like that because you're in a space where I'm coming into a space where I'm the only person of colour and I already am very aware of that. I'm already mm-hmm. feeling other. And then that happens and I feel like, can I make a fuss? Yeah. Shouldn't yeah. I make a fuss? What do I say? How do I say this without offending them and them feeling defensive towards me? So mm. thankfully there were other people in the room that, took on the situation for me so I didn't have to be accused you know, of being a diva. It probably goes back to those makeup courses. Mm. You know, yeah. what are they taught? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, is it sort of an inclusive sort of practice that yeah. they're taught or are yeah. they just mainly taught to, you know, uh, do up white people? So yeah. 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 However, it's tricky because I feel like a lot of black women have only recently started, we've started learning how to do our own hair mm. and our natural hair and a lot of us are going natural and that kind of thing. So it's going to take some time before maybe other people catch up with how to sure. do our hair but just some effort would be nice. And yeah. also there are many more black models around. Yeah. yeah. You know, just in the last couple of years, yeah. thank you, Edward Ennen, for yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's him. like yeah. they're gonna have to get used to it. Aren't exactly, they? we're Absolutely. here and we're here to stay. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Stevenson, what's vexed you? Come on, um, come on then. Yeah. So what's vexed me is uh, is a is a festive vexation. I kind of feel a bit like a Grinch for saying this, but um, I don't know how many of you guys have recently been to um, Oxford Circus Tube mm. Station. Uh. Yep. Um, and as you like lead up through, there's that tunnel of advertising for the new Coca-Cola, that Coca-Cola with cinnamon. Yeah. Um, and as you walk through it, it's like papered wall to wall they've got like you know the father christmas like the, the really classic coca-cola father christmas and and like i'm kind of i can deal with that like it's very like full-on like assault of the eyes but as you walk through also you get hit by this so it's coke with, with cinnamon like the festive edition and you get hit with the smell of cinnamon oh. like as you go through there like you can really and and like i just just walking through and i was like i feel like this is like some weird blade runner dystopian kind of advertising where like is it not enough that you can like that you assault my eyes but i don't know like maybe on the posters or like out of the room yeah it's kind of like the thing with subway where they like pump the bread smell in there as well to make you really like i just feel like yeah Yeah. i just feel like advertising is insidious enough without also assaulting my other senses you know and i just want to get out there do a bit of shopping and go home like please don't don't hit me with that so yeah i feel a bit grinchy but keep it less invasive the grinch had his reasons <laughs> yeah, yeah. Bernadine, thank you so much for joining us again. Thank you for talking thank about you, uh, Girl Woman Other. I think the best way to kick things off would be if you could give us a little intro, give us a little bit of a summary of the book, its sort of content and its story. Yeah, so Girl, Woman, Other is what I call a fusion fiction. So it's an experimental novel about 12 primarily black British women who are uh, ranged in age from 19 to 93. Each woman has her own section in the book. And what I wanted to do was to explore a wide range of black British womanhood. Um, So they are primarily black British women. One character is non-binary and one character doesn't necessarily present as a woman of colour. And... The characters are diverse in many ways. So they are not only of different ages, so I have every age group in between the age of 19 to 93, but they are also of different sexualities. You know, Mm. half the women are on the queer spectrum. Mm. They're also of different classes Mm. and they have different occupations. Uh, There are four mother-daughter relationships in the book, friendships, all kinds of families. Yeah, so the book is about their lives. It's an unusual book because it is 
it's not traditionally structured in any way. Um, as I said, each woman has her own section, but it's not they're not short stories. Mm. It is a novel, so there is a cohesive whole. And they are all kind of intersected with each other. Mm -hmm. So as you read the book, you realise that the school teacher of one of the characters then becomes one of the... 12 women who has her own section yeah. and so on yeah. Mm. and yeah so that's it in a nutshell kind of reminded me of like a skins type way yes. that, you, that, that you said it out I thought it was yeah it's so like you're constantly going on this journey and deciding how you feel about characters as you learn about them through yeah. the other characters yeah. eyes yeah. yeah as you said it is quite a unique format initially when I was reading it I was like is this a short story collection and then as you get deeper in and you find the women that you've read about cropping up in different Later spaces on, yeah. was there ever a thought process for you that it was going to be less connected or was it an immediate kind of idea of this is how that's going to work I know the structure of this novel I just need to get it out of me no because I'm much more organic in my process so I started off with one ca character Carol who is a young woman uh, her parents are Nigerian she grows up in Peckham mm -hmm. and she goes to a, a sort of rough state school and then she ends up going to Oxford and you know she's mentored by a teacher goes to Oxford and becomes a banker uh, so she was the first character and then her mother appeared in her section Bumi mm -hmm. uh, who's a Nigerian woman who gets has a degree but ends up a cleaner as you know, we know that happens yeah. in this country. And so as I wrote Bumi, I thought she would be great as one of the women. So then I gave Bumi her own section. Mm -hmm. And then Carol has a childhood friend called Letitia. And Letitia emerged as a fully formed, wonderful, feisty character. <laughs> yes. So then she had her own section. And then... Carol's teacher is somebody called Shirley, although mm. she doesn't know her as Shirley. And she's the person who mentors her. And then at some point I thought, oh, it'd be great to give Shirley her own yeah. section. Yeah. And then because I like to write about families and people in relationship to each other, I then thought of Shirley's mother, Winsome, yes. who is yeah. the only character in the book who's of the Windrush generation. Yeah. Yeah. So then Winsome had her own section. So that's how it evolved in a way. Right. That's kind so of one wonderful. character had various people in their lives and then some of them became characters in their own right in the novel. As you said, you, you wrote about such different types of women and you really covered a lot, a lot of different minority groups. I wonder yes. if you ever worried about receiving any backlash about writing from any specific group's mm. point of view if they weren't necessarily your own. Interesting. Um, so this is my eighth book, right? Mm. So I've written lots of different characters. Yeah. You know, my last book was about a Caribbean London gay man at the age of 74. Yeah. 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 Clearly yeah. not myself. Right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so Wait, I'm what? always doing that I'm always writing from perspectives that are not my own yeah that's and I think that's the job of the writer mm. and I actually you know I don't actually believe in the term cultural appropriation or rather I don't agree with it because wow. I think yeah I know that's always <laughs> like a bit of a hot potato but I just think we should be entitled to write from whatever perspective we like as writers yeah. I don't even think there is an authentic representation of anybody because I think we are as varied as individuals as any other group of people out there obviously there are some things you need to get right yeah. um so when i was writing this book and you know my background is english nigerian essentially mm. you know but i have char characters in the caribbean mm -hmm. and asia asian caribbean black caribbean you know people of different ages all kinds of varieties that are not myself mm. um so i as a writer enjoy the process of not being myself when mm. i'm writing these characters yeah. Yeah. the only yeah. character I was slightly wary about was Megan. Right. Yeah. Mm. Who becomes Morgan. Mm -hmm. yeah. So that's a non-binary figure. Yeah. And I'm not non-binary. I do know non-binary people. And I, 
I knew that I had given myself permission to write that character mm. because I do with all my characters. I'm like, I'm not going to not go there. Mm. If I'm going to have 12 primarily black British women, I have to have a range. One who's going to be non-binary mm. or yeah. trans. So I decided she, w- they would be, excuse me, they would be non-binary. Um, and then I had to write her, write them very, very carefully. Yes. Because yeah. I was, I know it's a very sensitive issue. Yes. And it was a sort of, I had to do quite a lot of thinking yeah. about what it would mean mm. to be somebody who realises that they don't want to be any gender. Right. Mm. Um, so that was the only sticking point, really. Um, but then with the rest of them, I, yeah, I just I just go for it and enjoy it. So some of them I felt like, even with, with Yaz's story, when Yaz is a character in the book, a younger character in the book, and when you were describing like who her other friends were, I just felt like I knew those people. Yes. Which is what I know you said, that it's not necessarily about getting it right or there's not necessarily you can't necessarily be authentic because we're all so so varied. There isn't a specific authenticness to it. I just felt like, I know that person. I've met yeah. that person. I, just, I, I don't know. You just good. got it. So I think what happens with the book is that people might not see themselves in your entirety. Right. You might not think, oh, yes, that's, that's exactly my experience. Yeah, yeah. But you'll see so many things that you'll relate to, I think, especially as black British women. Yeah. Um, because I'm I'm a black British woman and I have been around a very long time. I've been having conversations about being a black British woman since 1982. Mm-hmm. And actually, when I went to drama school 40 years ago, right? Because mm-hmm. wow. I, I came up through theatre. Cool. Yeah. So wow. I've been having those conversations and it's got really lively of late, mm. obviously. Yeah. Yeah. You know, even this podcast is an example of kind of the ways in which young people are moving forwards and just creating platforms for yourselves yeah. and so on. Yeah. So... So all those things in that book from all those perspectives, that's all to do with me having been around a very long time <laughs> and just observed and been part of all these conversations. So like there's a bit where Yaz talks about her friend, her white friend, Courtney. Yes. And she takes her white friend, Courtney, to Brixton. Yes. yes. Yeah, yeah. I know her. <laughs> I've been there. I have. I've yes, it. absolutely. It's my life. And she yes. says, yeah. you know, well, the, the guys are checking out Courtney. Yeah. Yes. The black guys are checking out Courtney because she's with me. So she's so seen means- to be as seem to be black male friendly yes i mean we know that yeah. right so there's yeah. i think there are so many things in that book which comes from being inside this culture mm-hmm. and being inside our perspectives that we know about and i don't think it's definitely a white man could not have written that book oh, <laughs> no. Yeah. No, no 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 yeah yeah <laughs> or a white woman even you touched on kind of the length of your career and you know the breadth of experience you've got you are definitely the most experienced author we've had on the podcast and i wanted to ask just a, mm. a quick question kind of more generally about how you feel the publishing landscape has changed and kind of the conversations about race landscape has changed mm. since you became a, an author with lara in 1997 your first, yeah my first actually novel. first book was the island of abraham 94 oh, yeah. yeah it's changed a lot it's changed incredibly in the last two years we'll see if it lasts that's the problem right <laughs> yeah. we'll see yeah. if it's just yeah. a trend yeah. but I've I've witnessed there was a previous trend about 20 years ago lots of young black British writers were getting published and most of those writers disappeared mm-hmm. right yeah. because the trend was over that's the problem with the trend right. today I think it's a little bit different because the networks around our literature are there from our sort of you know we're sort of organizing ourselves in such a way mm. through for example this podcast through Galdem through various yeah. magazines through book groups and festivals and so on and so forth that I think we're getting into a position where we can support the literature yeah mm-hmm. we're creating we're, platforms not just we're not just the talent anymore yeah 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 so and whereas speak. before you would be a writer but actually everybody around you yeah was would be white. Yes. Yeah. yeah. The crit from the critics to the publishing industry to the people putting on the festivals, mm. 
everything. Yeah. So if they decided to drop you, that you was it. Whereas I think now the the sort of various media and, and, and publishing industries and so on, they're very attuned to what you guys are doing. Yes. Mm. They know there's a market, there's an economic argument now as mm. well, because books are selling, yes. you know, from our perspective, these books are selling. So I think it's um, it's an interesting time. Lots of nonfiction coming out this year. Yeah. Yes. Just this year, I yeah. mean, probably about 10, which is unprecedented, yeah. right? Everybody's writing from a different perspective. It's mm. amazing. Not so many novels. Uh, people think that, because, uh, you know, I have to admit, I've broken through now with Booker Prize <laughs> and um, Candice Carty-Williams, clearly Queenie yes, has been yeah, a huge yeah. success. Yeah. Sarah Collins, clearly yes. one or two others. It's like, oh yeah, everything's changed. Okay, let's let's see what let's the statistics see, yeah. are. Who else? Yeah. Who else is out there? Yeah. Mm. Can we can oh. we fill our two hands mm. yeah. with, with black novelists from yeah. this country? Can mm. we? I don't know if we can. So, yeah. Yeah. A few people breaking through does not signal a sea change not at all. All. yet. Not at all. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I actually wanted to um, talk through the way in which you wrote about the immigrant story um, in your book and how you've written it from the perspective of parents' love, willing their child on to greater and the effects all of that comes with whether it's Windrush, whether it's coming from Nigeria or different places. So, um, yeah, if you could just have a chat with us about that. Yeah, well, my, you know, my dad was an immigrant. He yes. came from Nigeria in 1949. He lived here for the rest of his life. Mm. Um, he died in 2001. So I am the child of an immigrant. Mm -hmm. He wanted us to do well in this society. He was yes. a political activist. He was very engaged in local politics and so oh. on. But he didn't really understand this society yeah. mm. in the way that my white English mother did. Mm. So I've experienced that myself, you know, a child of an immigrant wanting, who wants you to do well, but doesn't know how to navigate this society. And yeah. I think that's one of the things perhaps that comes up in the book, mm. especially with Carolyn Bumi, yeah. mm. that yes. her mother, she comes to this country, her name alone means she's not even going to get yeah. job interviews. Yeah. yeah. And so she ends up a cleaner, although she then becomes a businesswoman because I was never going to have a character who's going to be a cleaner and that's it. Mm. Do you know yeah. what I mean? My characters all have to be striving for something and to a certain Great. extent achieving Great. it. And that's one of the, I think, the tropes in the book. And then Carol goes off to this, the most elite university in the world, yeah. perhaps, mm. right? And her mother doesn't understand it. I mean, she does say to her, look, go back there. When Carol comes back after the first mm. term, I don't belong, I don't belong. And her mum says, go back, go back, go back. Mm. But actually, when Carol does what she needs to do to, to survive, which is to fully assimilate, yeah. you know, and that's what happens when people go to Oxford, wherever they come from. Yeah. You know, I've, I've known lots of people who've gone to Oxford, young people in my life, and they come back and within a term, they're speaking like the Queen, mm. yeah. you know, and they come from all over the place. Yeah. So, so the mother doesn't understand that. And Carol doesn't have somebody who can steer her to code switch, yes. right? Actually, you can stay true to your Peckham Nigerian self yeah. when you're with your people and, and still yes. be around your people. Yeah. And also be the person you need to be to get through this society mm -hmm. at, yeah. a, at a high level. Mm -hmm. And so the mother's never fully reconciled to that. Mm. So that's one of the sort of immigrant experiences that I wanted to write. And then there's Winsome yes. and Shirley. So Winsome is, is like, in a way, she's more of a sort of, if anything, an archetypal character in that she is more recognisable, mm. Windrush generation, yeah. older woman, much older woman mm -hmm. now, worked on the buses with her husband Clovis for 40 years, yes. right? So she has grafted. Her children have ch achieved and are successful middle-class children, middle-class professions. 
but the the well, I won't do a spoiler alert. Here. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we yeah. know what we know what Winsome gets up to, mm. but <laughs> but Shirley, who has been a school teacher for all these years and is in her fifties and actually has a nice house, she's paid off the yeah. mortgage, she's got a nice car, mm. she's got who we think is a nice husband, she's got successful children. She doesn't appreciate what she has. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. And Winsome is like, look Come at you know, on. this yes. is what we came here yeah. for. This was the yes. like the promised land that she yes. was kind of looking mm. for. And Shirley's yeah. just miserable. Mm. Yeah. yeah. You know, which I think that's very true to life. I yeah. know people yeah. who really should be celebrating their lives and they're so miserable. Yeah. yeah. And sort of um ungrateful for for what they have. Yeah. So I th- I think this book allowed me to explore all these things that I've been around and seen and experienced. Um and the immigrant experience I think is it's an important one. So yeah. Important. I think yeah. that just to go back very briefly to that the relationship being between Carol and Bumi, there's that feeling of kind of a gap created by the push of love that yeah. then once you kind of you can't bridge it again it was so kind of meaningful to me because it was this mm. this idea like you said you know these parents have moved here for a better life they they push their children and they drive their children to yeah. do so much mm. to to distance themselves from their roots and then suddenly they go I don't really recognize this child anymore or we can't communicate yeah. and it was it's such I feel such a common trope amongst yeah. um, children mm. of the diaspora you know people who who sort of have like first generation or second generation immigrants and that kind of feeling I just, as I was reading it it felt so I know like not necessarily to use the word authentic but it really did feel like something that a True. lot of people will be able to connect with and the other thing is is that okay so so the history of black British writing is such that the guys were the people publishing in the 1950s people mm-hmm. like Samuel Selvon and Wilson Harris and Andrew Salkey mm-hmm. right so they were publishing the sort of young male immigrant experience in mm-hmm. this country yeah. and then my generation which we you know we were called second generation we were publishing from the experience of being second generation mm-hmm. and sort of kind of our relationship to our parents mm. but not the parents really from the parents perspective voice, yeah. Yeah. and this is one of the problems for so few of us getting published the fact that I've got both sides yeah. talking about that relationship mm. is interesting but also it's not much done mm. because each generation that comes through they're young writers and then most of them don't get to the stage where they're going to write from the older perspective. Yeah. Yeah. So what I've got in the book is I have got the older perspective looking back at the children and then the children who are now adults looking yeah, at looking the parents. Yeah. And so this conversation is going on. Mm. Something that really struck me about uh, about the novel is this idea of books within books. Um, a lot of your protagonists are, like read and are very well read um, and they, they often sort of citing a lot of lists yes, of authors. Yeah. Um, and so I kind of wanted to ask you, you know, a lot of these authors are, are female, a lot of them are revolutionary in some ways, um, and a lot of them are women of colour. And so I, I kind of, the question was, how important is it for you to value the canon of women of colour? And also, do you see or seek a place for yourself in that canon? Oh, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> for sure, yes. for sure. I hate being left out, to be honest. <laughs> okay. And that is often the case. But anyway, so yeah, I do. I reference loads of books in that novel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm d- I did it very deliberately. Good, yeah. You know, because I'm saying... I'm very much for all of us, you know, because I have been a literary activist as well. So what I want to do is if I'm going to write this book about all these women, I'm going to have them also talking about their relationship to the different kinds of literature. So like Winsome's, the books that Winsome is reading Mm -hmm. in Barbados, retired with her her reading group Mm. is very different to the kind of books Yaz is reading. It's like, you know, Roxanne Gay and so on and so forth. So I had a lot of fun with that, you know, in terms of 
just showing the sort of breadth of who of the kind of literature that we're around yeah, yeah. and also the kind of literature that has influenced and continues to inspire me yeah mm. um so so yeah it was one of those little quirky little things that um i had fun with and i think not everybody reads but most of them do yeah, yeah. and like in terms of character development choosing the right books for the right characters. Yeah. How did you do that? Did you? I imagine like a um, like one of those detective like serial board. killer boards. Yeah, you know, yeah. they're like they're there, they're there. Yeah, this person does this. Yeah. I think I just wrote like just a few notes. Okay. You know, um, <laughs> so like not, not so like Amma, who's like Yaz's mother, who's yeah. like the radical lesbian feminist theatre maker, who's <laughs> about to have got a show opening at the National Theatre. Yeah. You know, she she's very much my generation first generation of people reading Audre Lorde yeah. who came back a few years ago yeah. for a new generation right mm. so it was lovely to put her in there and Alice Walker and Angela Davis and all those trailblazing African-American women yeah. of that era yeah 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 and uh, actually that brings me to something I've been thinking about because you know like I feel like second wave feminism has always had an American voice in mind like Angela Davis bell hooks mm. like Gloria Stein like, all of these women great women but it's always been African-American so how important was it for you to have British voices yeah, like that's, that's something that absolutely absolutely yeah. that's something that's really annoyed me actually yes in that you know those women who were inspirational in my generation were really the trailblazers yeah, yeah. but the, the latest generation are still referencing those women yeah. yeah and actually there is a history of of sure. our women writing yeah. books like the heart of the race yeah which was authored by three women stella dadzi Suzanne and Suzanne Scaife and Beverly somebody and that was published in um, 1984 mm. and it was about it was the first non-fiction book about black British women in this country wow and that history has disappeared yeah right because we're not in academia where there are kinds of literature are taught right yeah because you know we know that there are very few black British academics I'm one of like 26 black British professors in this country yeah. wow. and there are 17,000 17,000 yeah. full professors in this country. Wow. So Insane. somebody like me, I'm more likely to be teaching that kind of literature, right? Yeah. So we're not there to teach those books. And so somebody like Amma, that 80s really exciting countercultural period, which mm. I kind of compared to today, but we didn't have the internet. We had <laughs> leaflets. Yeah. You know, we had the phone attached to the yeah, wall, yeah. you know. I don't know if you've ever <laughs> seen Different that. Different kind of social yes. media, yeah. You know, yeah, in those those Some olden pictures. days, yeah. right? <laughs> so our world was very micro, yes. you know. So we, if we wanted to connect to, say, the African-American trailblazers out there, mm. we'd have to go to a bookshop called Sister Rights, mm. right? I saw that. That's an actual, I've never been there. Yeah. It's an actual book. When I saw that, bookshop, I wrote that down. Yeah. I was like, it's, an actual it, bookshop, sorry. It was yeah, there about 20 it. years. And that was the only shop in this country that would sell Feminist books, women's books, just women's wow. books. Because a lot of the other shops didn't sell. Yeah. Waterstones wasn't around then, didn't sell those books. So me writing Amma and going into her background, which was similar to my background, was really exciting. Because I was, and, and also to open with her. Because yes. it was, in a way, speaking to the new generation and yeah. saying, look, this is what we were doing. Before and you. I want to validate yeah. this. I want to say, this was a really important moment in our history and we need to record it. But yes. in a sense, my generation are the ones who are probably going to have to record it yeah, mm. yeah. because we were there and there isn't a lot of information out there pre-internet yeah. mm. so you'd have to go into archives and stuff um i wanted to ask you in one of your interviews you said that you couldn't have written girl woman other as a young woman because young women write about young women i know i keep um, saying that and nobody's had a go at me yet <laughs> no, I'm not, and, I'm, and i'm not here to do no, that either. no it's good if you no, do i don't mind no but i think it's definitely true and it wasn't i it wasn't until i saw that and i was like yeah when i write i write about 
young women. I don't write about the the older generation, wrongly or rightly. But um, in the book, the character Amma puts on her play at, at aged forty, and you have obviously. Oh, been... she's older. Oh, a- older than forty. Yeah, yeah, she's, she is. She's. Yeah. Amma's like nearly 60. Why do yeah, I think yeah. she's 40? She's black don't crack. She's so she black don't crack. Because black don't crack. Because black don't crack. Yeah. So yeah, the character of Amma puts yeah. on um, a play past the age of 60s. Yeah. And you've obviously been so successful in your career and won the booker at a later stage in your yeah, life as 60. well. You said it. I mean. And you look great. Yeah. I can't. And true that's incredible <laughs> I had no idea yeah. I mean not that I mean, wrinkled inside absolutely not and that's incredible. this is why it's important because <laughs> our, I feel like our society is so obsessed with youth yes. at the moment I just wonder how important it was for you to showcase success that's past the age of 20 and 30 yeah, yeah. Absolutely. you know so important so yeah. important. that's why I have that range of women yeah. in the novel yeah. Yeah. and show them all fully active functioning yeah. having sex lives yeah. not yeah. crazy yeah, yeah. Yeah. So on and so forth. Because society always is youth obsessed. Yeah. And, you know, youth, young people are incredibly photogenic, mm. you know, and they are often doing new and exciting things. But actually, you can do new and exciting things yeah, when you're it's 60. it's always fresh, yeah. new. Yeah, it, it, it is. It is. And I, I think that's to do with the media's obsession yeah. with looks and sexiness and so yeah. on and so forth. Mm. And so older women, we know they're overlooked, which is why it's so interesting that in this age at the moment, it's slightly starting to shift. Mm. Mm. You know, Edward Enenfall at Vogue, you know, he will do these features where he will have sort of a younger person, but also with an older person yeah. who's been That's an inspiration amazing. to them. Yeah, mm. um, And I think you know, what he's done with Vogue, and I, I keep going back to that because I just think it's incredible mm. and it's selling. Yes. It's showing that we, that's the broader we, yeah. all these diverse people and people of colour can actually sell the, the sort of the Bible, the yeah. sort of fashion yeah. Yeah. Bible yeah. Yeah. that's, it, that's it? been around however long it's been, around, 100 years or whatever. So the ageing thing, it's also I feel it's my responsibility to say to young people, mm. you can be healthy and creatively fulfilled yeah. and active and still have dreams and going for it and all those things as you progress yes. and actually in some ways life gets better yeah, yeah. it does yeah. because yeah. that insecure well not for everybody but you know for that in that kind of insecurity and not knowing where you're going and you know i think when you're younger it's very hard to see into the future mm-hmm. when you've already had a long life you you have a sense of what's ahead in mm. a sense yeah. in that you know how things change mm. so one of the things i do with the book is i show where people begin and where they end up yeah and they don't know where they're going to end up yeah. yes. and i think that's i find that really interesting about life anyway because the people i know who came up with me in the 80s who were on the demonstrations wearing the badges you know really bolshy angry confrontational countercultural all those things that young women are today but it's more kind of like vocal online yeah um some of them have gone into like the corporate world yeah yeah Yeah. housewives you know literally and you know working in really traditional staid conformist jobs Mm. leading really conformist lives Mm. how did that happen Mm. so so like the young people i know today i sometimes look at people and i say you don't know where you're (laughs) you're gonna be you don't know where you're gonna be in like 30 40 years time you know but it can be amazing so, it, you know, I think I have students at Brindale University London where yes. I teach. Who they write old characters and they're like, you know, walking sticks <laughs> and, and like, you know, completely batty. And then um, I say, how old is this character? And they'll 35. say, oh, about 40. Yeah, <laughs> you say about 45. I'm like, whoa. Yeah. 
So I think it's quite skewed when um, yeah. when you're young. But I, you know, that is what being young is, though. It's about yeah. you, isn't it? It's about your generation. It's about yeah. going for what you want. You probably don't want the oldies telling you, you just wait and see. <laughs> I think that's but, a really interesting, just, just to like, because I think I was just going to ask like you guys something that I... Every year I've got older, and I think when I was kind of like 16, I was like, oh, by 21, I'll be, you know, I'll, I'll be settled. I know what I want to do. I'll have, <laughs> yeah, like, I'll probably be like with the person I'm going to get married to, thinking about oh, kids. And then hilarious. every year you kind of move on. You're like, oh, but by 30, that will happen. Oh, but, and then like you're just getting to a point where you actually go, the more adults in, in inverted commas that you meet and the more sort of people who are further on in their lives you kind of realize oh no the, those goals and those milestones are things that you get to individually and there's yeah. actually mm-hmm. i think for me as a younger as a younger person there was a lot of fear around that kind of unknown and about kind of feeling like i needed to have my life together by a certain point and yes. i think it can be quite liberating actually to get to a point in your life and it may hit you at different ages but when you kind of realize oh like um, you never feel like you have it together. You know, yeah. you never mm. really feel like you're like, okay, this is all, this is everything I want to do and I'm doing it now and I'm good. And actually it's, it would be a bit kind of constricting to get to that point because then what do you do after that? You know, once yeah. you feel yeah. like you've done Absolutely. the thing. And also yeah. not, it's also really important not to feel pressure from society. Yeah. Mm. Like, okay, I'm 30 now. I should own my own house. Like mm-hmm. how can that happen in London? Yeah. yeah. You know, I should be with my life partner. Well, you never know who your life partner is going to be because yeah. things change. Yeah. Right. And I should have my family. Yes. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I know some young people I know really feel the pressure of that, but really actually you that. carve your own path through life. Yes. And you know, Absolutely. it's also like you're, you're performers, right? So yeah. mm. I've seen performers sort of, you know, work at their craft and go through terrible periods of unemployment mm. and then break through at a later age. Yeah. Yeah. But yes. they never, it's also about not giving up if yeah. that's yeah. your passion. You know, society will change. You know, people who weren't castable years ago yeah, are now yeah. being cast, so right? Absolutely. So yeah. it's about just believing in yourself, going for it, looking after yourself, really important. Yeah. Yeah. And then just enjoying the journey. Yes. yes. Yeah. I always ask women that are older than me, my mom, my aunts, um, and just women that I have the pleasure of working with. I had the pleasure of doing a show where the show was centered around um, um, older women. Yes. And I make a point of asking them, you know, what would you tell your younger self? And the main thing they all always say is, chill out is yeah. what I tell yeah. my younger self relax it will work itself yeah. out you'll be fine yeah so yeah. long as you, you you're on the journey yeah you, if you give up on the journey then that's yeah. going to be a bit difficult just keep going and just don't panic because everything unfolds in a way it does mm-hmm. unfold the way it's supposed to yeah yeah, yeah. So you previously mentioned, but one of the kind of linchpins of the of the book is The Last Amazon of Dahomey, the play within the book that Emma writes that has a predominantly black female cast. And one of the characters, Carol, yes. notes that she's never seen a play that reflects women like her on stage before mm-hmm. like that. Um, and she's never been in an audience as black as that at the National either. Yes. Um, so um, I was going to ask you, can you call any recent or not so recent shows or cinematic events or, you know, um, events that you've been to where you've had that feeling of looking mm. around you and either being represented on screen or being or on stage or being represented in the audience in a way that doesn't usually happen. Yeah, actually, it was um, a friend of mine, Adjua Ando's production of Richard II oh at Shakespeare's Globe, <laughs> yes, yes. which was in February of this year. So yes. Adjua, somebody came up, my generation, she came up in the mm-hmm. 80s. She's been acting ever since. Uh, she put on the first all women of colour production mm-hmm. of Richard yes. II yeah, yeah, yeah. at Shakespeare's Globe, and I, I think it was in February, March, and she played Richard II. Ugh. It was so special seeing only women of colour doing Shakespeare. And you know this whole issue of cross-casting, yeah. Yeah. which has been around, they used to call it cross-racial casting. I think <laughs> now it's just called cross-casting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, if you don't do that, then women and people of colour are denied most of Shakespeare's production. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. 
Glenda Jackson playing King Lear yeah. um, about three years ago, which I saw actually. Amazing. She was 80, I think. Yeah. And she gets to play one of the great Shakespearean characters. Mm. So so that was that was extraordinary seeing yeah. that. Mm. And also, I mean, Adjua's poster was all over the underground. Yes. It was such a badass picture, yeah. wasn't it? Just looking formidable. Mm. Um, so, yeah. And the cast, uh, the, sorry, the, yeah, the audience was really diverse as well. So that's the thing that springs to mind mm -hmm. actually there was also a production of a color girls who considered suicide when the rainbow was enough by indazaki shange which was a huge hit in the mm. 70s yeah. a choreo poem she called it oh wow that was made into a hollywood film by a very yeah. famous director about eight years ago and that was incredible to see that because there were seven black i mean it's kind of a bit of an inspiration for girl woman other seven black okay. actresses playing these seven black African uh, African American women wow. in this beautiful, beautiful poetic production. I I remember that <laughs> feeling, and that feeling for me was when I watched the Barbershop Chronicles at the mm. National. Yeah. Of course, yes. And yeah, oh my gosh, it was it was it was incredible, and I, I just loved the fact that I was there and watching. There were school kids, mm. right? Black school kids wearing their uniform. And I remember specifically, I used to wear my uniform with my tie really short. Yeah, Because yeah. I thought I was like cool. really hip Really and rebellious, cool. you know. And they, they all had like their ties short, but they were there. And they came mm. as themselves. And they, they came as themselves. They, they yeah. didn't have to adjust. They didn't have to assimilate to whatever kind of society. You know, mm. in front of them were like a group of... 60 year old white middle class mm. people mm -hmm. but when but it was a space for them yeah. wasn't it? it was a space for them but yeah. when and when the performers came out and you know they were like asking them to join in and dance they didn't feel uncomfortable yeah. and i i think for that to happen at a place like the national just it lifted my heart yeah. so much one thing that i really remember really viscerally i went to like a midnight showing of get out the uh, the oh, film yes uh, the jordan peele movie and yeah it, it suddenly made me realize actually you don't often go to the cinema and see a lot of black people in the cinema or like yeah. you know specific, first very specific films but it was such a different experience everyone was being so vocal and all yeah. of the kind of microaggressions that happened to Chris in the film like they, yes. they were just really like we were going no no that, and, you know, mm -hmm. yeah, and, oh, exactly yeah, yeah. yeah. and it go. was just this it was such an interactive experience <laughs> mm -hmm. in a way that really felt again it's it's kind of similarly with Girl Woman Other you know this mm. feeling of when you feel seen and when you feel represented mm. yeah. people you almost can't help but in, like you know actually make a noise make a sort of like oh, that's me that's happening mm. I've seen this yes, I felt that yeah. or you know don't do that don't go there mm. and it and it really was this kind of it was amazing it really felt like the screen was you know permeable like we were all like yeah. halfway between it it was really nice yeah i think mm. i felt that way when i saw black panther i'll never get over mm. that experience yeah, yeah. black Tris are a collection in um within the industry and they put on a night for all of us to go to see oh, in Peckhamplex. Okay. Mm. So I it think was. I might have been there, you know. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I think I was, I was there, yeah. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. hey, guys. I was there. Yeah, so <laughs> I went with a lot of not only uh, black and mixed race and people of colour, but in the industry as well. So we're extra vocal. Yeah. And yeah. it was emotional. It was exciting, but it was also. It, I got teary because I was like, yeah. as much as I am appreciating this experience, I can't wait and till this isn't a big deal and I can't yeah. wait until my cousins and nieces and stuff will come and watch this now and to them it may not be a big deal and I'm happy about that yes. I'm, I'm excited that they can come hopefully in the next 10, 20 however many years it's going to take and see a show and see themselves represented and it's not like wow we've been yearning for mm -hmm. this mm -hmm. you know what I mean we're always so we're so used to being the only people of colour yeah. or one of a few only people of uh -huh. colour in this yeah. country yeah. and that's partly to do with the kind of spheres we move in yeah. but it's also to do with the demographics of this country yeah. Yeah. do you know what I mean we are I hate to use that word but there aren't as many of us let me say yeah. as there are yeah. say African Americans or yeah, Hispanic Americans yeah. 
So when we do get a chance to be together and to feel that kind of sense of community, yeah. it is extraordinary for yeah, us, isn't it? It's very kind of nourishing because mm. yeah. we're sort of kind of, in some senses, isolated yeah. Yeah. so yeah. often. And people don't understand that no. yeah. because they are the default in yeah. the society, white yeah. people, aren't they? Yeah. They see themselves all the time and they don't even think about yeah. it. Yeah. I really, really, really wanted to ask about your style of writing because I remember when I first opened the book, one of the things that really struck me is, oh my goodness, the way that you wrote, the lack of punctuation and and then, you know, deciding to shorten some of the sentences at the end, Mm. putting me at the edge of my seat all the time. Mm. Like, what was your thought process behind that? Yeah, it's, I mean, I I said at the very beginning, I call it a fusion fiction Mm -hmm. um, because the stories are fused with each other's. All the women's lives are fused with each other's. Uh, But also, because I don't use many full stops, uh, there is this sense of the sentences fusing with each other mm. and that form uh, which kind of looks a bit like poetry but it's not poetry is very readable for me I'm an experimental writer but I want it to be readable I don't mm. want my yeah. 12 women to only be read by people with a PhD in English yeah. literature yes. that's not it doesn't interest me but I can't I always have to experiment so I can't write a traditional novel mm. properly I've never really done that so that form allowed me to have a really free-flowing writing experience Mm -hmm. you know and the emphasis is so much on the language and the breathing spaces in the text are not to do with full stops it's to do with the way the text is patterned on the page Mm -hmm. and it allowed me to be inside the women's heads and outside of their heads and almost gets this has this kind of subconscious feel Mm. whereas you're reading one character you're really sort of deep in their lives and their subconscious Mm. going backwards and forwards in their lives because I go back to everyone's childhood and then forward to the present day and then suddenly you're in someone else's subconscious and you're kind of just like flowing on this wave inside these 12 primarily black British women's heads (laughs) and I think I think that's that was the effect of mm. it. And it was a form I used a little bit of in my previous book, Mr. Loverman. And I really yeah. liked the writing process. The editing process was then very difficult. <laughs> yes, Because when you yeah. don't have full stops, oh my God. Yeah. It's really hard to discipline and structure it because you don't have those markers. Yeah. yeah. I yeah, saw you describe I it as like a stream of consciousness. Yes, it is. And yeah. it, and it, it is, is kind it, of. Yeah, yes. it, it kind of makes sense because that's how quickly thoughts can yeah, that switch. We, well, I, I'm really <laughs> pleased that it's done well because it means perhaps other writers now will feel they can the experiment yeah. Yeah. and the publishers will allow them to because we don't really experiment much as black British writers. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And the publishers, I'm sure, up to now have thought, no, 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 that's too niche. You know, but maybe now they'll think, oh, well, you know. We had Derek also yeah, on the pod who literally oh, yes. said that exact same thing. He said that black British writers, both in terms of content, also in terms of form are not necessarily encouraged to experiment as much as yeah. other writers and his debut novel is a, a, a oh. verse novel and he was saying oh, that oh, so I didn't realise it was a verse and novel and it's, it's being published by Murky by Storms in print and he said that they were very much more welcoming in terms of changing stylistically and like wow. supporting the idea of something that was a little bit less you know on the beaten track and I think you're right that like people who are already being perceived as like a bit more of a risk in terms of publishing yeah. are forced yes. to be a bit more like by the book in other ways. Yeah. Yes. You know um, Zoe Ashton's character breakdown. I don't know if anyone's read it. No. no. So that's her memoir. It came out early this year. I don't think it's oh, really cool. gained a lot of ground, but that's experimental. Yeah. It's a fictionalized memoir and she's got dialogues, you oh, know, I'll conversations presented as dialogue, like script dialogue. Yeah. 
So she's done what she likes with it. Yeah. And I think mm. it works. That's really interesting. Yeah. So we actually have a question from one of our followers at Hannah Shorten. And she's asked, which writers inspired you earlier in your writing career? So I have to say Toni Morrison. Mm. You know, <laughs> she was my main inspiration when I was coming of age, I would say. Derek Walcott, Caribbean poet, uh, died wow. a few years ago. Yeah. Love his, I still love his, I still love their books. Yeah. yeah, you know, I've loved their books for like all my adult life. Yeah, um, and you know, Alice Walker at one stage was mm -hmm. really important to me um, as an African American writer called Gloria Naylor, and I have to mention Butchia Machetta. You know, Nigerian novelist. She was our sort of foremost novelist in this country for about 30 years. You know, she she died a few years ago. She was in her late 70s. And she was writing about the experiences of being female in Nigeria, but also the Im early immigrant experience here. And yeah. for many years, she was the only person doing that. Mm. But she was kind of, for most of her career, she was ignored by the mainstream media. Mm. Wow. You know, and that's, that's tragic, really. Mm. But... To a lot of writers in Africa and African writers and African writers who live in the UK, she is like the mother, yeah. in, in yeah. if you like, of African literature. Um, so, so those were some of the writers. So, another question we always ask authors is, what out there at the moment in the world has inspired you? So, it could be another book, it could be something you've seen on TV or a podcast or an album that you're listening to, a film. But what's out there is something that you would love our listeners to go and check out. So I have to give a big shout out to Roger Robinson, who uh, is a poet and he also um, is in a band called King Midas Sound. Uh -huh. And he's got a new book out called Portable a Portable Paradise, which is published this year, which oh. is absolutely incredible. Have to give a big shout out to Jay Bernard, um, who's a non-binary poet. And the book is called Surge. Both of them are exploring all sorts of things. But Roger is partly looking at Grenfell Tower. Okay. And oh, wow. Jay is looking at the new Crossfire. And so they're political works, but also yeah. just incredible works. I have to say, I really love Pose. Oh, um, cool. yes. I've just started the new series and it's got really heavily political. Yeah. Um, so that's that's a big inspiration to me at the moment. It's been really nice seeing all of the actors from Pose as well getting so much mainstream yeah. like, yes. traction, you know, because like, they, they're like, showing up at like the Met Gala yeah. and all of these events and really getting like that trans visibility is something that is obviously such a big, has been such a big problem. And then like yeah. for them to be actually given that platform yeah. and given that space is really, really nice. But that's because it's important. And I yeah. think it's great when you have a company and like producers behind behind you who are supportive of that who yes. will be like yeah, yeah, yeah. let's work hard to get the PR working mm -hmm. do you know yeah. what I mean yeah. to give yeah. you a platform it's great and I saw the Alvin Ailey American Dance Theatre oh wow yes. oh, oh my god a few weeks ago oh my goodness <laughs> oh my god I'm, I've never seen them before I don't know what took me so long yeah. absolutely sublime yeah. when they come back I think they come back every two years everybody should go and see yeah. them yes. it was such a joyful moving experience yeah. Um, yeah. so yeah amazing those are my hits Bernadine, where can people find you? Line social they, media. They can get me on Twitter, on Instagram, perhaps on Facebook. I'm a little bit picky. Um, <laughs> wow, yeah, probably more so. Since we're in the booker, I've got like a few hundred people waiting, and I'm not sure what I'm going to do with them. Well, but, um, that's okay. They can wait. Sorry, yeah. they, can wait. They, can wait. they can wait. They can wait. So, what are your Twitter and Instagram handles for people? Who so, want at to Bernadine Every. And uh, Instagram is Bernadine Everisto Writer. Lovely. Great. Yeah. Perfect. 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 This has been such fun. Oh, thank oh. you so much yeah. for joining us. Really good. Thank you. Really good. Thank you. Honestly. Thank you. 
Okay, thank you so much for listening to us, guys. We have been Generation Vex. And if you'd like to reach out to us about anything we've discussed today or you'd like to recommend to us any books or TV shows or albums that we should definitely be listening to, you can find us at Generation Vex on Twitter and Instagram or me at Sharon Rose Live. Or me on Instagram at Vanessa Fisher Actress or on Twitter at Vanessa J Fisher. And you can find me at Stevenson underscore LTD on Twitter and Instagram. And you can sign up to our newsletter for all things Generation Vex. Generation Vex is produced with the support of Green Door Pictures. And we'll see you on the next episode. Yeah, catch you later. Keep reading.